Wonderful. That's much better. It's wonderful. Thank you so much, everybody, for taking the time out of your busy lives to be here. I, I do really think this will be um, a really important two days together. And uh, it is the first time we've um, had prayer and equipping on the mainland here. It is a bit of an experiment. I mean, most things uh, in what we're doing are experiments. <laughs> and uh, like any experiments, you kind of, some, some go well and others you think, hmm, oh, that's a different experiment. We'll try something else next time. So we, we're learning together. We'll just see how the Lord takes us. But I, I think it's really important we do this and that we uh, come together here. It's just like putting, sometimes there's something about putting your feet on the ground somewhere together and it's making us a statement of intent really, isn't it? Saying, okay, Lord, we're, we're standing here, so lead us on. Show us what you want to, to do. In this um, first session, uh, I just really wanted to share just a little bit of some things on my heart that I hope will be of encouragement to you. Um, in January each year, I take uh, that month to particularly spend time. I have, a, I have a, a reading list. I go through things I want to study. I have some prayer planned, so I pray about things. Uh, I think... Right? Can I encourage you, if you're a leader, think. <laughs> All right? Just find somewhere to think. All right? so thinking is uh, underrated. <laughs> and um, so it's, it's, uh, thinking is different to reading and praying. It is thinking. Right? And so I, I take some thinking time because you just have to sometimes just go on a... I like to go on a walk with God and I just walk and I think. And I, sometimes he'll say things to me, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is just to reflect on things that I've been reading, praying, and that sort of stuff. So I do that. I don't preach in January. I don't go to any meetings. I'm completely irresponsible for all of January, other than just to do those things, to, to think and to pray and to plan a little bit about this year. And the other thing I do in January is I try to um, pick one or two people to go and visit who perhaps I don't either see very often or people who are completely new to our, um, you know, not in New Frontiers or Relational Mission, just people who are from a different stream, different expression. Because um, I find, you know, uh, just as Naaman had to dip himself in someone else's river to get healed, <laughs> sometimes we have to dip ourselves in someone else's river because there's other things you get from other people. And uh, so this uh, January, uh, Sue, my wife, and I, we had the opportunity to go and have some lunch. Uh, it is lunch with uh, Sandy and Annette Miller. Uh, Sandy Miller used to lead Holy Trinity Brompton, where Alpha comes from, those of you who know that. So uh, they don't live very far from us now, just live half an hour away, which is very nice. So we went to have some lunch with them just to catch up and to spend a bit of time praying together. And uh, over uh, the, the, just around the kitchen table, after we'd had lunch, we just said, let's pray together and see what the Lord would say. And it was one of those moments when, you know, you're, you're not in a conference, you're not in a, there wasn't lots of angelic visitation hovering around uh, 
even around Sandy Miller, there wasn't a lot of, you know, just, it was, we just had lunch. And we just started to pray. And Annette, his wife, uh, read these verses. And she said to me, I really think God wants to say this to you about relational mission and about what you're doing. And it's Isaiah 54, verse 1. Very familiar verses, but it came with a weight to it that I felt was authentic because it was in an understated atmosphere. There was a, there was a weight to it. And I felt persuaded in my heart that God was speaking to me and that I needed to position myself appropriately and perhaps this session try and help us position ourselves appropriately to what the Lord was saying. So Isaiah 54, she read this. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed, nor be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. Father, I pray as we just look at these verses together that you would persuade us of your intent and how you want us to respond to what is in some ways a timeless encouragement in scripture, but yet one, Lord, which I feel in the day we are living in, you are bringing to us with fresh um, authority and weight to it. Help us to, um, Holy Spirit, help us to apply this well to our own situation so that we feel genuinely strengthened and helped this morning as we consider these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we came away from, while she was reading it, I, I, I felt, as, I, as I've said, um, one of those moments when I felt the weight of God's um, voice. Uh, it was like quite a serious moment um, where I felt he was wanting me to embrace with faith what he was saying. Uh, not just to think, oh, that's lovely, a little bit of expansion, great. That wasn't actually what he was saying. He was, it was a serious moment where I felt he was saying, uh, as Gert uh, was sharing earlier, it's too small a thing that what God has on his heart for us, um, I genuinely believe is much bigger than we are capable of. You get that? I genuinely believe God has made up his mind to do something and he's inviting us to be involved. We're like the pliers he gets hold of. But this is his piece of jewellery he's making. And what he wants from us is not to make a tiny little thing but to be involved in something very significant that he is making and he is expressing his intention. 
And I've always found that it's important to line up with what God says he wants to do rather than tell him what you think he should do. And uh, we may feel, particularly in the western, uh, western part of Europe, we may feel, goodness, the wind is often against us in terms of Christian advance and church planting and all these things. All of that is a complete irrelevance to God. <laughs> it is a complete irrelevance to God. It's not to us because we're living in it. We're living in the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites. They've even named it their own land. But when I last checked, the earth was the Lord's and everything in it. So God actually has the right to say, this is what I want to do. And he's looking for a faith response that doesn't concentrate on the how, just concentrates on the what. Because the how is, well, we'll come on to that. But the what is really important. And so what I want to do is just go through a few principles um, from these verses and things that I've, I think things that I personally reflected on since that uh, time and just there's one or two things I'll share perhaps in a little bit of detail just to try and help those of you who are new well we're all new to relational mission and what, all that's happening but just to try and help understand what, what it is that our heartbeat is, the culture we want to have, because such occasions, we don't get many occasions together like this, so I want to try and talk quite openly and honestly with you, and in a, situ in a setting like this, uh, either in this session or the last session where I do some sort of news and updates, if we can have discussion and Q&A and things just to help clarify things, I, I'd love that, because I, I want us to sort of almost like be around, a, if we could all be sitting around one table just chatting, that would be kind of great, but we, we can't do it like that, but I want you to feel like you are, right, so we're having a discussion today, uh, we're having a conversation, but it's one way, as I said recently, <laughs> this is a one-way conversation. Um, so the first verse says this, sing, O barren one, now, this is, this is a strange thing. And this is a very sensitive issue, um, Isaiah announces. You know, sing, O barren one, you who did not bear. Break forth into singing. Cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. What the Lord seems to be saying here, and he's talking about a very difficult um, personal issue of childlessness and that, that, that may well have affected some people here or family or friends or loved ones and it's a it's a very very uh, emotional painful difficult thing it's one of those situations in life as as are many situations in life that we all go through where you feel utterly out of control utterly helpless unable to fix it unable to do anything uh, try all kinds of things uh, to, to fix a problem, whether it's here it's childlessness, but for us it can be, I don't know, business not going well, or it can be a, another health issue, or it can be some personal issue that no matter what we do, we look at it and we think, my personal resources cannot change this. Nothing I do can change this situation. It is out of my reach to fix this problem. And 
in that situation where you need, you know, great gentleness and uh, tenderness and, and, and to help people through coping with the pain of what they're going through, the Lord says, sing. <laughs> now, that just seems such an odd thing. Uh, sing, O barren one. Well, what do you mean sing? Can't you, can't you come up with a solution? Uh, can you not suggest how the barren here can uh, be made unbarren, fruitful? How, uh, what are they going to do? What is the solution to the problem? Uh, and we might stand here now singing and worshipping the Lord, and but yet one mind, one of our eyes is, is, is on what we're singing, but the other eye is on where we've come from and the needs around us and the, 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 the lack of church life in the nations we're from. And we can think, goodness, it all feels very barren. It all feels very, very barren and out of our control. We're not able to fix this. Lord, would you help us fix it? And what does the Lord say? Sing. Sing. You say, well, it, that's not really solved the problem. Sing? What do you mean sing? Now, what's the point? The point is, the Lord doesn't need any resources to sort things out that can't be sorted. He, he can pull a rabbit out of a hat. You know the magician's trick, yeah? He can pull a rabbit out of a hat without a rabbit and without a hat. But then, he, doesn't, he doesn't need... He doesn't need to... The Bible says... Uh, God created the world out of nothing. He didn't even have something to work with. There was nothing. It's utterly barren. Everything God does, he says, let there be. And it's not, like, it's not like he says it in a situation that was likely. He says it where there's nothing. He says to Abraham, you will be the father of a multitude. They're barren. There's not even, Abraham says, it says he faced the fact his body was as good as dead, yet he, was, he did not waver regarding the promise of God. Abraham, as it were, sang in the barrenness. And I think before we get into how we're going to plant churches into, across Scandinavia, or across Germany, Switzerland, Holland, Belgium, France, anywhere you want to mention, the, the, the scale is huge. And there's huge barrenness everywhere. Huge kind of thousands upon thousands and thousands of people who have no idea whatsoever about the gospel, even in a tiny bit. It's got nothing there. It's just a barren nothing. And what does God say to us at the beginning of this mission together? Sing. In other words, let your confidence be in him. Not in how you're going to tackle the problem. And the reason for that is that all the glory has to go to him. All the glory. He's even more magnified in the impossibility of things. That's what makes him God. If he did something that, yeah, I could have believed he could have done that, well, that's, that's not God. If we achieve something that we look at and think, well, I'm not surprised they did that because they had some very gifted people. But we don't need God. You only need God when it's barren. And it's like there's no chance of anything happening. This is a Lazarus moment. You know, we, <laughs> Lazarus wasn't just, well, 
we think there might be a pulse left. No, he's, he's gone. He's, 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 he's stinketh, as the old RSV uses. <laughs> you know, he stinketh. And, you know, there, there is no chance of a resuscitation by natural. And what does God say? Sing. And I feel that um, whatever lies ahead of us, a cultural thing we have to get in our in our hearts is we celebrate before we see anything happen. We, we, we celebrate what God has announced he is going to do. Otherwise, we are not worshipping him. We are evaluating him. We don't need to evaluate God. It's not a wise thing to do. But we worship him. We sing The circumstances don't have to point to something being able to happen before God can do something. In actual fact, I would say God likes it when those who cannot, should not, and have not start trusting him to do, to allow, and enable. He likes that. He's drawn to the people who sing in the barrenness. And what are they singing? You know, they're not not singing on the Titanic, just waiting for it to sink. They're, they're declaring, they're declaring truths about God. They're declaring. It doesn't matter what it looks like. We know what the outcome is. We we do have promises in Scripture, and I'm gonna. If I'm not careful, I'm gonna end up preaching the message I want to preach in May. So I, you'll have to listen to it twice. But the point is, we do have promises in Scripture all through the prophets that have not yet been fulfilled. Nothing on planet Earth has ever come close to the prophecies in Isaiah, in Micah, in Zechariah. Nothing has it. Now, either they got it wrong, and therefore most of the Bible is inaccurate, or there is still a day coming when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Sing, O barren one. There's something going to happen that we are inevitably moving towards because God has sworn it's going to happen. Now, he wants that to be a, such a deep conviction in us that whatever issue we come up against, we don't come up against a Jericho and we think, hmm, would have been nice to plant there, but pff, no chance. There's been four churches attempted to be planted there in the last ten years and they all failed. Sing, O barren one. Now, it doesn't mean you go in and just do exactly the same thing you did four times before and fail. You might need some lessons to learn. But we're not looking for the most likely places where it's going to work. If we did that, we would not, none of us would be in Europe right now. <laughs> I mean, sorry to depress you, but if you want to plant a church, leave Europe. I mean, is that fair? But that's exactly what God's... Sing, O barren one, you who did not bear, you who've never been in labor, you, for the children of the desolate, the barren, will be even more than the children of those who are married. In other words, where it should be happening, is happening, and can happen easily, you will overtake them. Why? Because God said he's going to do it to demonstrate his glory. So Europe will become the more fertile ground for what God wants to do, in spite of the fact that it looks the hardest place. That's exactly what God is saying. Am I not God? Can I not speak and a whole wilderness blossoms like a rose? That's why he's God. That's why we worship him. That's the whole principle of resurrection life. A a dead body coming back to life. Who heard of such a thing? 
multiple church plants all over secular, pluralistic, humanistic Europe. Who heard of such a thing? Sing, O barren one. There's something, it's not, it's not over-optimism. It would be over-optimism if God hadn't said it. But he has said it, so he has a problem. God's got the problem, not you and me, because he's promised he will fill the earth with his glory. So I more stand now and say, Lord, I just worship you for your incredible um, guts that you say, you say, I can take Europe on. It's like a drop in the bucket to me. Worthy, 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 worthy. Who is this king coming from Zion? He's the king of glory. It's, it's all eyes on Jesus. So we've, we've got to get something in us that is naturally defaulting to his glory and his magnificence, not the problem we're facing. We spend all our time thinking about, oh, how are we going to break in there? Oh, those churches are not doing very well. All the devil will do, he'll come along and he'll say, do you want a bigger shovel? Do you dig a bigger hole? You, you know, he can give you plenty of reasons to be discouraged. And I'm sure if we all had a time of sharing, let's share all the reasons we should be discouraged. We could be completely depressed by the end of the two days. But that, we, we sing, sing, O barren one. Because it's the, if God can't touch Europe, then he's not going to be able to raise us from the dead when we die. <laughs> You've got a bigger problem than puddling churches. <laughs> if Jesus hasn't broken death, none of us have any hope. But if he has, nothing is a problem to him. I mean, so we've got to just get the perspective right. It's not blind optimism. It's confidence in what God has said. So that means we position ourselves appropriately. Um, and positioning ourselves in this context means sing, means worship. It means um, celebration of what God has said he's going to do. That that is, our, that is the one conditional thing God is asking of us. Just now, just think about this for a minute. There's a there's a deal being done here. God is saying, if you sing, if you, if you believe me, basically, then I'll do it. So that's not it. We don't even have to do anything clever. We just have to take him at his word. And God loves that when we take him at his word. And even when there are things that happen we don't understand that could quieten our singing we say Lord I don't understand this but I will happily trust you with it until such time as I do understand and if I never understand I still know that you do all things well so it's, it's unshakable we, we, we have to be completely unshakable on the nature and character and purposes of God it's not for negotiation did God say well we've heard that before somewhere he hasn't changed the record the, the, enemy, the enemy hasn't got anything new to say. He will just keep finding different ways of saying, did God say? And trying to just make, mm, mm, did he? Mm, not sure. No, we, we have to be wise in these things. So we position ourselves. We, we line up. We line up with what 
God has said. That means obedience in the day of small things, just doing whatever God has told us to do. Do you know, I'm freshly realizing, uh, I don't know why this is coming to me more strongly perhaps in, in recent times, but obedience is a huge thing to God. It's just huge. Um, just this simple thing of whatever he says, do it. You know, it can be simple things in daily life, you know, looking after your wife or your husband or looking after your children or handling your money well or being in good relationships with people. Or It, can be, it doesn't have to be big kind of stuff on a stage. It's just living, saying yes to whatever God asks us to do. That's all part of singing. That's all part of honouring him and trusting him. So we say, well, we'll trust you, so we just do what you ask us to do. It's, it's what he's looking for in those he wants to then bless. So the second thing then is, um, and I'll get into a bit more detail on this, is where it says, enlarge the place of your tent, verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent, let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Enlarge the place of your tent. Um, we have the beginning of this uh, tent framework that New Frontiers has now become, instead of one tent, many tents, um, a family of families. And we've got this tent we've been given from heaven called Relational Mission, and it's started, and we're learning, and we've put the stakes in, and we've kind of put it up, and we're all in it. And um, God says right now, enlarge it. Stretch it out. Begin to make preparation for expansion to the right and the left. Begin to let something in your hearts not just hold on to what you've got, but begin to believe me for expansion. Um, Now, when God says, stretch your tent pegs out, I, I think I'm finding with God it's always best to let him tell you where to put the peg in because I will always underestimate what I think God's going to do and then you end up just having to pull the tent peg out again and stretch it out so I don't if you ask me how big does the tent I don't know just big alright big um, some people do say to me well what um what is the, the, the vision of relational mission? And I can't give you a, like a, a, a sort of a, a strap line that's all nicely kind of um, that rhymes or whatever. <laughs> I wish I could, but it wouldn't work in every language anyway, would it? So, um, but this this is what my heart is. Right? This is this is why I am standing here doing what I'm doing and doing everything I'm doing. This is the only reason I'm doing what I'm doing, right? Because I, for me, what we are about as relational mission 
is, and you might want to write this down so you can think about it, right, is this. It's multiplying apostolic families in the nations through the raising up of spiritual sons and daughters. Multiplying apostolic families in the nations through the raising up of spiritual sons and daughters. Did you all get that? Multiplying apostolic families in the nations through the raising up of spiritual sons and daughters. Now, to me, that is the end game. That's the, that's the dot on the horizon. That's where the tent peg goes in. And what that means is that relational mission, as far as I'm concerned, and I know that I speak for Morris and Yope and all of us that are involved, have been involved in helping get this thing going, uh, we're all of the same mind on this. We're, we've got the same philosophy of the, on this. What it means is that relational mission, our vision is not that it just become a bigger and bigger and bigger organization with a kind of a someone at the top of it sort of managing the whole thing. So it just becomes a very big organization. That's not the heart. The heart is that we identify, encourage, train, release, and father and mother, emerging sons and daughters with their own apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastor, teacher gifts. And where we see that happening in different nations and in different settings, we allow that to come into being so that fathers have sons who themselves become fathers who have sons who themselves become fathers who have sons. So the end game is to multiply apostolic families of churches. And I honestly believe that the Lord has said to me he wants that to have a global reach. Now, I don't know what that means, and I'm slightly scared of even saying it, but I feel I'd be disobedient if I didn't, because I think the Lord has said these things to me because they're beyond what I can do or beyond what any one of us can do. But I think if we allow him to put the tent pegs in where he wants then he will fill it and he will make it fit the destiny he sees it fit. We can't do any of this. You can't raise spiritual children. You can't raise apostolic ministry. That's a gift from the ascended Christ. When he ascended, he gave gifts. But what you can do is recognize, train, and nurture and release it where you see it happening. Yeah? So our role, perhaps for many of us here in this room those of you who have been involved in church leadership for some time, a culture, a culture amongst us must be to desire, to see, to, to encourage an emerging multiplication of, of not just younger people, but it will involve a lot of younger people, so that we help them. Our ceiling, our ceiling may become their floor. Yeah? Does that communicate? So where we've got to, we may just be preparing when they go next. It doesn't stop with us. It, it is a cultural family thing. Children, 
Children don't save for their parents. Parents save for their children. That's in the Bible. Right? So we are prepared. Yeah, that made some of you think, oh, goodness, I changed my will. Yeah, no, that, that is biblical. Right? Our role as parents is to save up as much money as we can to then give it to our children. Most of them want it now. So, well, now you've got to wait. <laughs> wait till I peg it, and you can have it. But it's, that's what families, that's what parents do. They, they, inv- they have a, an inheritance they give to their children. So for me, if we c- just imagine we could have, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, I don't even want to put a number of it, of emerging apostolic ministries and families of churches all over the world that we're held together through relational connection. They might even be called different things. I don't care what they're called. It's just a name. It's the relationships. That's why even when New Frontiers went through its transition, people getting all upset about the name. A name just tells you where, the, just tells the postman where to put the letters. If you're building it around a name, you've not got even the heart of the relationship. The name is just a vehicle. Even Terry himself said that. The name's just a vehicle. The connection is at heart level with the people you're building with. And you just use names to facilitate things. Relational mission is just a name. I think it's a particularly good name. And well done, Andy Moyle, for coming up with it. That was, there is the man who came up with it. You can blame him. Uh, but there may be other names for other spheres of families that emerge. And I, I found myself walking on the beach in front of where I live, praying, Lord, give me sons in Europe, give me sons in Africa, give me sons in Asia, give me sons in America, give me sons in Australasia, give me sons... I found myself praying things like that beyond my comprehension as to how to do that. But that's where I believe we're headed. Is there a small amen? Because it's not about building a big empire. Now, it's not about then fragmenting either. It's about trying to multiply the DNA so that you just release and release and release all the time. So, to me, that's where I believe God is putting the tent pegs. He's putting them in, and there's a bit of canvas flapping about, thinking, well, how on earth are we going to fill that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the how. I do know the what. So, I don't, I don't know the next steps, but the more I read my Bible, none of the people who God used knew what the next steps were. But they did know what they'd been asked to do. Abraham set out not knowing where he was going. I think we can probably do that. Don't you? We can set out. We can sing. We can make a start. Not knowing where we're going, but we know we've seen the city. We've seen the end game. We've seen the vision. We've seen what it is that God's put in our hearts And we will make whatever choices we have to make to keep that in line. So what I've just said to you about multiplication of apostolic families, that's the plumb line that everything else is measured to. Now, you might say, well, how on earth do I communicate that back to my church? They don't even understand what's happened with New Frontiers yet. I've still got people in my church who don't understand what's happened with New Frontiers. It's going to take us a long, 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 long while of patient communication and culture setting. Shaping a culture takes, they say, between five and seven years. So we we are, if you think you've put something in a brochure and given someone a brochure and think, ah, communicate it, 
No, you haven't. All you've done is given them a piece of paper. Right? They, people can even be sitting in front of you and you say something and you think, right, I've now communicated. No, you haven't. They weren't thinking about what you just said. They were thinking about their shopping or whatever and they missed what you said. So it's a very patient thing we have to do. And take our time, not be, uh, not be in a hurry. We have to catch up thousands of people into a very new situation and that's going to take a long, long while, which is why we're starting with leaders because if you can get the leaders on board gradually, then eventually it will work its way through and we catch more and more people up in it. That's, that's what I think is the way we have to, have to do it. So, um, so that's the, that's the vision. Um, let me just, I'll just pick up a few things. I, I, I won't, um, what, let me just have the program. Can I someone make sure I leave a bit of time for praying? How are we doing here? Okay. Oh, that's fine. Right. Longer than I thought. Um, yeah. Now, <clears throat> so that's the kind of the vision. Um, let me backtrack. Culture. Culture is comprised of vision, values, vocabulary, and vehicles. Sorry, that's all in English, and they all they all begin with the same letter. Right, but culture is vision, values, vocabulary, like words, and vehicles, things you do to enforce it. So the vision we just talked about, that's the end goal. The values are, these are our ways. This is how we do things around here. doesn't mean that we're right and someone else's way of doing it is different and they're wrong. It's just this is how we do things around here. And I think at this early stage of who we are as a family, it's worth just a little bit of time looking at how, how we do things um, one of the best illustrations that I love, I, I, I really love this prophetic word, um, Penny Taylor, uh, James Taylor, who does, who's our Nigel Ring. I just say he's our Nigel Ring. Uh, people understand. Oh, yeah, right, I know what that means. Well, his wife uh, had this prophetic word at, when we had our recent uh, Elders and Wives Conference in Norwich in November. And uh, I'll just read you a bit of it just to give you a flavor because I think, it, to me, it explains our values uh, quite well. She was driving into the, into the city and there was a, a skyline of a building and to her, it, she says, it looked like a, um, a crew, it looked like a, a ship had, had come into dock in Norwich and she said it was like the ship relational mission had come into dock, come, come into the harbour. And she said, when I looked at it, it had me puzzled. She said, if I'm honest, I was trying to see it as a warship getting ready for battle. But the reality was that it looked more like a cruise ship with a large lookout platform and a communications tower. She said, I didn't like it being a cruise ship. It felt wrong. How could a good time be the right approach? Uh, what about spiritual warfare and battle? 
But over the course of the weekend, I felt very at peace about it as God revealed to me it wasn't one thing or the other. It was a new thing. This was a warship and a cruise liner and an icebreaker. It was a rescue ship. It had been specially crafted to deal with all of the situations it would face. It was a new thing, a very specific and unique thing. There would be and this is what I want you to, to really remember. There would be battles fought and ground claimed, but there would also be fun and laughter and dinners at the captain's table. Get that? There's battles, but there'll also be fun and laughter and dinners at the captain's table. And this relational time could and would happen in the middle of a battle, and this wasn't wrong. The ship would also provide shelter. Other boats could come alongside and tether and be safe for the time they needed to be. People could seek sanctuary on board. The one thing that struck me was it was formidable. This building is one of the highest in the skyline. And if it had been a boat docked in Norwich, it would have been noticed. I felt there was strength in that. And relational mission would be taken notice of. It would be visible. And it was an encouragement about the direction which relational mission is going. I felt God speak to me that he's designed relational mission the way it is for a purpose. It's different to other spheres and expressions of church or the apostolic. And if it docked in a harbour, it would look very different to other ships. People might think it looked a bit odd at first. But actually, once they had a tour of the ship, they would understand and it would change and provoke them. I really like that. I like this image of battle and serving the Lord and ground being claimed but sitting around a dinner table together having fun at the same time. I like that. That's relational mission. That's what, it's exactly what it's about. It's friends serving hard for God but enjoying the journey. It's trying to, it's this combination of in, enjoying the goodness of God and, the, and, and all the, not taking ourselves overly seriously not walking around with great big glum faces thinking about the state of the nations because it's the, the government is on his shoulders not ours right? In just enjoying enjoying the fact that we are we're on the side that's going to win right? so we can enjoy ourselves we can enjoy ourselves not, not irresponsibly not sort of thinking well we don't care no we do care but he's got the government so we build relationally together in the context of planting churches, reaching nations, really working hard amongst the poor and the disadvantaged. The two things go together. And I, when she brought that word, I thought, oh, I love that picture. I love that picture. A warship that's a cruise liner. It's fun, but it's really serious at the same thing, at the same time. And... Um, the next thing about culture is about vocabulary. And uh, one of the things I feel quite strongly about, I don't quite know how we do this, is um, I don't like the word sphere. Right? To me, it sounds like a football or something. It's like something you kick. Now, I know why we've done it, because it's just, you know, got to use something. But I prefer the word family. We're a family of churches. Right, that's, that's a relational... So I'd like us to try and use that. We're a family of churches on a mission together. We're not a sphere. 
we're a family. And it's using language of mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters. That's family language. That's actually the language of the New Testament. The word sphere isn't in there. The word family and mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, that's, that's, it's from the father that the whole of fatherhood on earth derives its name. So family imagery, family language, vocabulary that we, we deliberately choose vocabulary to reinforce something. That's really important just culturally as a way of communication to people. We say we're a family of churches. I think that's really important. And f- that implies also we, we use words like empowerment. We're not controlling the apostolic team. That, that I lead, this is right straight from the horse's mouth, right? As far as I'm concerned, my job is to help people into their destiny, not to control them into my agenda. Right? It, is, it is not a control thing. I have only succeeded if I've helped someone get further on in what God's called them to do. That's what apostles and anyone else who's Ephesians 4 does. Equip the saints for works of service. It is an equipping role. It's not a controlling role. So I believe in high accountability, but low control. So some of you may get, I don't know, vision from God and go and plant 10 churches somewhere. And we think, oh, didn't know that was going to happen. Praise God. If you've heard from God, go and do it. But you have high accountability. So we do it together. We don't, we don't go off and do our own thing, but you're not waiting for an, for an order from headquarters before you can breathe. Right? Are you getting this? Because that's not how this is going to operate. We are in this together, hearing God together, and we support one another in the initiatives that God um, calls us to do. We, we, we applaud one another on. We cheer one another on when God opens a door here for this brother or that sister. Or we're in this together and expand, expanding... The tent pegs is not a job of one person. If it is, the tent will fall down. Right? If you've ever tried to put a tent up on your own, not that I have very often, so I don't like camping. But anyway, if you have, it's, it's better to have several people, isn't it, helping you? So this is a this is a team sport we are involved in. Right? It's 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 low control. It's high accountability. It's about loyalty. Right? Not about commanding. You, know, you and I must, we, good leadership, good lead, any good leader will, will create the environment where people want to follow him or her in what they're doing. If, the, if, a leader, if the leader's only way of keeping things going is by fear, control and manipulation, they are not leading anyone anywhere. They're imprisoning people. We've, we've got to release people into their destiny, but at the same time teach people there's something to do with loyalty, mutual submission, accountability that is freely given. Freely given because trust is built. Uh, loyalty is earned. All these things have to, to, to be part of the culture. And that, that's, you know, that's where I, whatever we build, I think will stand out if we can create that kind of a culture. So we do speak into one another's lives, not afraid to say helpful things, but it must always be with a view of thinking, how can I help this person, not how can I make them serve my agenda? It's how do I help? So 
vocabulary. And then um, just a, one more thing I just want to say about uh, vehicles, and then we perhaps have some opportunity just to pray about the future. There's lots of things, no doubt, that we will do over the coming years, and we're exploring what we feel the Lord might want us to do. I don't think I'll go into those now because we're in the news and update session this evening, uh, the last session I can talk about those. Um, but I do want to say this, just this about whatever vehicles, whatever methods and strategies God, God gives us, it, it will involve multiplication and we won't all know what's going on um, Everywhere, and I'm quite happy with that. You know, I I, I like the fact. That, well, now let me let me put it this way, right? Um, I quite like uh, reading about military history. I mean, I'm not an anorak about it. I don't, you know, I don't I don't do it as a hobby. But I quite I quite like just I'm interested in military history. And um, I was reading a little bit about uh, the Prussian general staff. So. Uh, after the French Revolution, Prussia, as it was then, was getting rather nervous, thinking, is it going to overspill? So in the French Revolution, the, the, the conscription in France had, had um, come into being, so they had a very big army. And at that time, the Prussians didn't have a very big army, and they would just the way they would fight a battle is they'd have one general sitting on his horse, and then the line of the army, he would be able to see one end and then the other end. And any, ish, any commands would come from the general and everybody would be able to see what he was saying. When the French Revolution happened, they thought, we have to introduce conscription. The Prussians did. And so thousands more soldiers were recruited. So they could no longer fight by having one long line where the general could see everything Instead, they now had to have groups deployed into different areas, perhaps geographically miles away from one another, in order to hold the line and to advance and protect. So, how do you build continuity in a situation like that? How do you build continuity in a situation of advance? Well, what they did was they uh, drew their emerging and... Um, younger generals together and those who had already existing command in the structure, they drew them together mostly around tables for meals, mostly. And they would talk, they would share their lives, they would build trust, loyalty, they would work, they would build deeply around the dinner table, talking, sharing, and forming what actually was called their doctrine. It was actually called their doctrine. They would form their philosophy. So this is what we believe about how we fight. These are the, this is the mechanisms we believe for making decisions. These are the, these are the things we go through in order to, to make a decision in any particular situation. And they worked through how do you make decisions in the battlefield. Uh, so everybody around that table had the same philosophy of ministry. What that meant was they could then deploy people thousands and hundreds and thousands of miles away from each other. And the general knew this. He did not have to micromanage what was going on anywhere. 
because he'd got trusted people anywhere along the line and he knew that they would make the same kinds of decisions that he himself would make because they'd built deeply together on the same philosophy. You get it? Now, the same thing, I think, needs to apply to us. So as we start to spread out, as different nations are touched and as we get different emerging potential apostolic ministries, you know, younger guys and older guys, and even whole groups of churches may well come and join us looking for something that they haven't got yet. I I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. What we have to do is to build tight and deep together so that as we get spread out, we know wherever we are, people will look at how things are being decided, how things are being uh, implemented, and they will say, oh, that's relational mission. Do you get that? That's a beautiful dream, I think. All around the world, people could point at, oh, oh yeah, that's relational mission, I recognize that. I've seen that over here. That's how they do things. That's their way. Wouldn't that be a great thing if people said, oh, yeah, that's their way. They're like that, if it's a good thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's how, oh, they, they're like that. Yeah, they're, they're the same in America as they are in Africa, they're the same in Europe. Oh, yeah, they, wherever they are, that's relational mission. That's how they do things. To me, that's building, that's building for expansion. If it all has to come back to me or a small group of us, it's a small tent. It's a, it's a one-man tent. <laughs> you know, and a one-man tent, you haven't got much room in that to do anything. You can't even stand up in a one-man tent. I want a great big tent, don't you? Stretch the curtains wide so one end doesn't know what the other end is doing. Great. It will freak out the control freaks because they well, how are we going to organize it? You're not. It's holy chaos. Because <laughs> you, uh, you either have to really tightly control everything, so don't do anything without checking with me first. That's what, that is some people's way of leadership. Right? That's not going to multiply. That's not, not expansion language. Expansion language is, God, we're right behind you, but keep accountable so we can help you. And it's freely given. It's not, well, I suppose I'd better be in this because I'm kind of in it. Nobody should be in relational mission if they don't want to be. Why? Because I don't want to keep looking over my shoulder and think, oh, I've got to keep everybody happy. I can't even keep myself happy most of the time. <laughs> what chance have I got of keeping you happy? Right? We're in this together because we want to be. And we sense the providential hand of God in beginning something together that he will take us on an adventure. And we need one another for it to work. Do you get that? Yeah. We need one another. I need you, you need me. We can't do this on our own. But it is a level playing field where we've got to build tight and deep. That's why we're emphasizing that dinner's around the captain's table in the midst of war. So one of the best ways to build trust and relationship with people is to have fun. Isn't it? Fun should be compulsory. Beatings will stop when morale improves. It's not the way to do it. We have to have fun. So, I just just wanted to kind of, they're the main things I wanted to share really. Um, And lastly in verse 4 it says, Fear not for you will not be ashamed. One of the greatest challenges to expansion is um, fear of failure. 
Um, and that's an internal issue, not an external one. And what I'm finding is, is as I am burning my bridges behind me, and the reason, and you can burn your bridges by saying something, and I've said some things this morning that I've burnt some bridges, because I've made some statements about what I believe God has said. But you can burn your bridge, there's no retreat, by doing something as well. And the only reason we will go for something, leaving ourselves vulnerable and thinking, well, there's no way back to what we did have. The only way you do that is if you believe what God has said, fear not, don't be afraid. I'm not going to let you be embarrassed or um, dismayed. I'll make sure that I look after you on the journey. So you're planting a church at the moment. You're thinking of planting a church. You're thinking of touching a new nation. And you really believe God is in it. We believe together that we're doing this. You think, yeah, but if I do that and it doesn't work, I'm going to feel so stupid. Well, God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You won't be ashamed. You won't be disgraced. One of the other things I ought to have said about the, um, the philosophy around the captain's table is this. If one of us succeeds, the rest of us should applaud that individual and say, well done. Look at what they did. If one of us has a go and it goes wrong, it's our failure. By doing that, you create an atmosphere where people are willing to have a go because you, they know they're not going to be laughed at or, made, or written off if it goes a bit wrong. I would rather people have a go and it go wrong than not have a go at all. Because all I'm doing is having a go. <laughs> I've never done this before, but I'm having a go. Do you want to have a go with me? And we say, all right, Lord, you said I'm not going to be afraid. Uh, I'm not going to look stupid. I'll trust you. We'll have a go. So we can say to the enemy, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. All right? We, <laughs> we can say to him, no, we're, we're, the, Lord's, the Lord's with us. The Lord's with us. Let's stand together, and uh, we've got 20 minutes or so before this session ends, so I'd like us just to respond a bit, really, and um, perhaps just pray for each other. Oh, I didn't use my little... Ah, I brought my special, uh, my special tuning for Now, I don't know if it'll work with a... Uh, where's a microphone? Yeah, I'll use that, yeah. Now, this, this is my little demonstration, right, of culture and when you build culture there's a little tuning fork right so try and get the note ready you got the note right let's hear some a bit louder a bit louder keep it going just one note keep it going right let's some of you can sing bass put a bit of bass in keep going some of you are soprano or tenor or alto, add in some stuff. Keep it going, keep it going. You're running, come on, breathe. <laughs> yeah, great, keep it going. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going. Just now add in some, uh, add in some little uh, um, harmonies. Oh, that's, yeah, good. Keep it going, keep it going. Right, let's, uh, let's see if I can, let me just see if I can conduct it. Right, ready, so. 
Got the rest of everyone for a crescendo? Isn't that beautiful? Now that's much nicer than just one bloke with a microphone singing. (laughs) Really. And that's what relational mission is. Every voice blending. You need a conductor just to tell people, you know, right now you, now you. You need a conductor, but the sound is in the people. And without the sound, you're just a man with a stick. Right? You're just a man with a stick waving it around in the air. Without, <laughs> without, the, without together. So I think it's a really key moment where we just say, Lord, would you really help us to build a culture here on the mainland? I mean, I've emphasized some things here on the mainland because I think there are some cultural issues to do with church leadership. Some of what I've said goes right in the face of it. And we have to say, no, we are building something different here. We're building something different here that to the best of our ability has got a little bit of, as best as we can, a little bit of biblical flavor to it that we can say, this is the smell of the New Testament. We're not perfect. It's a diligent attempt to really say, Lord, help us to build the culture that will be very attractional on the mainland and wherever else God gives us. So let's just be, uh, let's just be open to the Lord and see what he wants to do. Standing. The band might want to come back at some point, you know, just so that we can be open to sing. But I just want to just give the Lord opportunity just to come among us. Holy Spirit, come among us. Holy Spirit, come among us. Holy Spirit. just want to stir the prophets if you're feeling just kind of anything on the back of what we've looked at feel free some of you might want to just pray you might feel a, a prayer of faith for the mainland or for different nations just come and lead us we've got a microphone just 